Well, good morning, everybody. It is uh, such a wonderful opportunity we have to worship together in this space. I miss seeing your faces, but it's, uh, it's a wonderful gift that we have that we can worship God together in this space. Uh, speaking of missing things, uh, I have missed sports. It's so nice to see sports beginning again. You know, the NBA has started again, and uh, hockey has started again. Baseball's trying, although the poor Cardinals just can't seem to get things pulled together. I don't know. But since March, when sports mostly were canceled, uh, I've tried to fill in the gap of their, their absence by watching some sports underdog movies. You know, where like the little team beats the big team in dramatic fashion, you know. There's, there's tons of those kinds of movies. Do you have a favorite one? In fact, if you're watching on Facebook Live today and want to chime in, you can even list some of your favorite kind of underdog movies. But as I've watched a few of those over the last few months, one of the things that I've noticed that's strangely consistent with, with the many that I've seen is that the underdog team finds success as they listen to their coach. I mean, think about some of the underdog movies. Maybe you're even listing some of those now. Uh, I think about, like, The Karate Kid. You know, he had Mr. Miyagi to teach him the ways. Or I think about Rocky, you know, that boxer from Philadelphia. He had that, that grizzled old, old coach, you know, Mickey. Even uh, Cool Runnings, the Jamaican bobsled team, had John Candy. The Hoosiers had Gene Hackman, A League of Their Own, had Tom Hanks. What's your favorite underdog movie or sports movie? What comes to mind? I see here on some of them, Hoosiers, listed by my mom, of course. Mighty Ducks, that's another one. Rudy, that's a great one. That's a super underdog. A lot of Hoosiers coming up here. There's so, so many. Facing the Giants, that was another good one as well. The... Steve Miller made me watch another underdog movie a few weeks ago called Bloodsport. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme plays this martial arts fighter named Frank Dukes, and uh, he, he made me watch it. And so I watched it, and it was horrifyingly bad. It may be the worst acted movie I've ever seen in my life, but it's like a train wreck. Like, I couldn't pull my eyes away from the whole thing. But even in that underdog sports movie... Frank had a, had a teacher, had a mentor, Tanaka, who taught him the ways, and he listened to his coach. Listen, underdogs who succeed listen to their coach. Now, as followers of Jesus, we are not given much of a chance to succeed in this world that we find ourselves in. We are the underdogs. So who do we as underdogs listen to? And as Brandon mentioned before, there are so many voices right now. Who, who are we listening to? There are voices that come from uh, experts and celebrities and politicians and scientists and doctors and social media influencers and uh, family and friends. Who are we listening to for that ultimate voice of knowledge and truth and the best way to live? Well, today we're beginning a series in the book of Hebrews called Underdogs. And if Hebrews teaches us anything, it it teaches us that as a church we are as a, a team together, a team of underdogs fighting against the odds stacked against us in a world often hostile to us. We're a group of of scrappy fighters in God's kingdom, working his way of love in a world until Jesus returns to set all things straight. Hebrews invites us to become a team. 
And so this morning, I want to open with you to Hebrews chapter 1, and if you've got a Bible, why don't you open up with me there as we begin to be reintroduced again to our coach and to listen to what he has to say to us. Hebrews chapter 1, again, we, we begin the book from the very first verses with a portrait of our coach. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son, I love this image, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. If you want to know what God looks like, He looks like Jesus. Sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He provided purification for sins, that is, in His death, His burial, His resurrection, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. His work was complete. So, He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. Without pulling a punch, right from the very beginning, this author wants us to know that Jesus is supreme. He is the coach. He is the one worth listening to. In dramatic fashion, these first four verses of Hebrews 1 are just one long Greek sentence that identify nine different claims about the identity of Jesus. There's no question from the opening bell, Jesus is the one worth listening to. Now, with that relationship defined, the author then directs us as followers of Jesus with these words, Hebrews chapter 2 now, starting in verse 1. He says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, that is the gospel message of Jesus, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, that that image of uh, the message spoken through angels is a very first century way of describing the law of God given to Moses through angel intermediaries. He says, since we've Uh, This message is spoken through angels, was binding every violation and disobedience, received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now, you see the image. Because Christ is superior even to the angels, His message is of utmost importance. Rejecting his message is more serious than rejecting the message even of God himself through Moses and through angel intermediaries. This is a classic kind of Jewish way of arguing. It's the how much more argument. Essentially saying, uh, if the lesser point applies, then how much more does the greater point apply? If God's word through Moses was important, and it was, how much greater is the message that comes through Jesus in the gospel? Imagine if you're that underdog to step away from sports for a moment into the Star Wars universe. Imagine if you're that underdog Luke Skywalker. Any Star Wars fans here? If, if Luke Skywalker received a message from Yoda through a messenger like, you know, R2-D2, it'd be important. He'd pay attention, right? But if Yoda himself came to Luke Skywalker, he wouldn't just pay attention. His whole world would turn upside down. In fact, maybe literally because of the force and all that stuff. It's the same image. In the law, God himself revealed his will for the nation. He he revealed his heart. But in the gospel, the king himself came to us 
and offered that message in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. We, we can't just treat that message of forgiveness, that, that, that gospel message, as if it were good advice. No, it's, it's an all-consuming mission for our lives. And so the question becomes, what are we doing with his good news? Is it directing our lives these days? Or have we become distracted? See, Hebrews, throughout the book, and especially even here in chapter 2, offers a couple of ways that we can be guilty of tuning out our coach. The first danger in verse uh, 1 here is the danger of drifting away. Did you hear it? He said, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The Greek term is the word parareo. It's only used here in the New Testament. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's used in a couple of different places. Isaiah 44, Proverbs 3. It's used of an image of water that's flowing. You get the picture. It's drifting, flowing. Here in Hebrews, it's probably used as a technical nautical term. It's a sailing word meant to hold a ship towards port. It's, it's the picture of an anchor fastened to the seabed, this, this sort of metal protuberance that's embedded in the sea to hold a ship from drifting. It's a picture that the author of Hebrews will come back to in chapter 6 when he says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The warning here is that followers of Jesus face the danger of, of being pushed and carried downstream and past the fixed spot, the fixed place of security like a port. We are in danger of drifting away from our coach and his voice. At our high school CIY event a few weeks ago, there was a, a speaker named uh, Jaron Scott who used this illustration. Uh, Adam Lanter told me about it. Uh, around Australia, there are these ocean currents that flow. Uh, many of them are, are moving in the same direction. They, they form kind of this ocean superhighway, as it were. And they, they flow, and all kinds of sea animals uh, follow that flow. Sea turtles flow in the direction of that current, uh, plankton drift along in that direction. In fact, uh, the word for plankton comes from a Greek word that means wandering. They wander with that current. But in 2017, the Swiss National Science Foundation was studying those animals, and they studied a kind of zooplankton called a copepod. Now, just a little fun fact here. In the very scientific TV show SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, Sheldon J. Plankton is a copepod, so you may recognize the, the significance of that there. But anyway, they noticed that these copepods didn't just go with the flow, they actually swam against the currents with little hops. They jumped against the current of the ocean flow. Hundreds and thousands and millions of animals are flowing together in the same direction, and yet these copepods are going against the flow. Why? Well, because if they went with the flow, they would end up in environments they were not meant to end up in. They would die. And I think this is a warning we all need to hear, especially now, especially for those of us who've grown up maybe in a Christian family or in a church that's been around for 75 years. It's, it's all too easy to go with the flow, even in a church family, to let other people do the praying, to let other people do the discipling, to let other people do the giving and serving and all the important business. And it's too easy just to go along for the ride, to stop putting in so much effort to just go with the flow. And the problem is, 
that we can drift away from our coach's voice. We, we can find ourselves tuning out his voice and just drifting farther and farther away without realizing it. I wonder this morning if you wouldn't take just a moment and ask yourself, are you, are you drifting in your Christian life? Are you drifting away from the voice of Christ? Have you stopped swimming in the right direction because it seems like everybody else is swimming in this one? You see, I think the greatest danger right now in this cultural moment, all the craziness we're facing, I'm not concerned that you're going to turn your back on Jesus and loudly deny him. What I am concerned about is that so many of us will just drift away a little at a time. And that COVID rewrote our routines. And so things even like worship, whether in line, online or in person, you know, we'll just start to worship less, log in less, pray a little less, engage with the scriptures a little less, give a little less, serve a little less, until one day we found our, find ourselves drifting off to places we were never intended to be. We find ourselves saying things like, I used to be a part of the church. I mean, the, the danger today is that we're lured into the cultural flow that is so powerful and we find ourselves even as Christians you know watching all the same Netflix shows as everybody else whether it's beneficial or pornographic we we find ourselves drifting in our relationships towards divorce like so many others or towards confused sexual ethics or we play politics instead of upholding justice you name it the danger exists for us to drift away from the voice of our coach Be aware of that drift, Hebrews says. Don't drift away from Christ. That's one way we tune him out. Another way, a second danger, is by ignoring him. Did you hear that in verse 3? He says, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Now, that Greek term for ignore is the word amaleo. It means not to think about, and so you don't respond appropriately. It means essentially neglect. It's the word Paul would use to Timothy, uh, his disciple in the faith, in 1 Timothy 4, when he says, do not neglect your gift. It means to be careless or indifferent or not putting yourself out. The word was used in the wider Greek world of the day in in the realm of medicine when it described a patient who would be neglected. Imagine someone who is deathly ill, lying on a gurney in a hospital room, and no medical personnel are coming around them. That's this word, neglect. Or imagine uh, the picture in the wider Greek world, this word was used to describe uh, politicians, public administrators and servants who would not fulfill their obligations, politicians who didn't do what they said they were going to do, which we can all agree was only a problem in the ancient world and is not something we struggle with today, maybe. Hebrews is concerned that we would succumb to more and more cultural pressures. We'll begin detaching ourselves from our faith, and it will stop informing the way we live every single day. In other words, we grow so tired of canceling out all the noise that we cancel out our coach's voice as well, and we chase distractions. I wonder how many of you are chasing distractions these days. It's so easy, especially with so much stress and anxiety and uncertainty, just to to throw yourselves into escapist behavior, right? To to binge watch and Facebook scroll and video game, lots of ways to get engulfed in things. And 
Honestly, they're largely not bad things, you know, chasing after your grandkids and sports teams or taking trips to see God's creation, reading the latest novel, you know, playing cards with friends. They're, they're fine. They're okay. Not a problem. But, but Hebrews is offering us this warning that those things, if taken in total, can begin to push out the most important things. We have to wonder, you know, who's got time to make a disciple of a neighbor or to read the scripture with someone or uh, to serve or to, to worship or to love your neighbor? Oh, no, 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 I can't do that. I, I tick-tock. I bake. I minecraft. Okay, fine, no problem. But are we ignoring and neglecting so great a salvation? Gallup did a poll last year in which they found that 76% of Americans, nearly or three out of four, more than three out of four people, claim that they're Christians. But according to some very basic definitions of following Jesus, only 8% of them were actually followers in the way of Jesus. 8%. Are we among that 8% or are we just playing at this thing called church? Now, if you're watching with us today, and you're not sure about this whole church thing, you're not sure about Jesus or about God's work in the world, if you're just questioning all of this and wondering, you are welcome here. We are so glad you're here. We're glad you're asking those questions and listening and learning and growing and all that. Keep doing that. But if you're a part of our church family, if you've said yes to Jesus, you've been immersed in baptism, you've been uh, encouraged to live his kingdom life, if that's you and you find yourself drifting away, you find yourself putting your fingers in your ears and and stopping out the voice of Jesus, then, then hear this warning in Hebrews. Listen to our coach. Hebrews 2, verse 1, says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. We must pay attention. Prosecco is the word. We have to hold firmly to this belief. We have to continue in the way of Jesus. We must, he says, we must. Jesus began his ministry as an itinerant Jewish rabbi, as one who walked the countryside, called disciples to himself, and largely his life and ministry looked like this. First of all, he taught the truth about God. And we must listen to his words. We must make room for his words in our lives. We must. He practiced the way of righteousness through prayer and engaging with the scriptures, through fasting and and solitude and simplicity and eating with sinners around table and table fellowship and all this. We must rediscover those practices. We must re-engage with them as well. We must. Jesus lived in relationship with people with his family, with his disciples, with his friends, his three closest, Peter, James, and John. We must make room for those kinds of relationships in our lives as well. We must gather together around the table when we can. We, we must engage with one another as we can in groups and classes and, and as a church family here and there and everywhere. And of course, Jesus did all of these things by being empowered by the Spirit. And we must include the Spirit. We must make room to hear in His direction, His guidance, His, His love for us. The Spirit of truth, whom Jesus says, will, will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. When He does speak, the question is, will you listen? Are we paying attention? 
Will you put yourself in place to hear God's voice? Will, will you come to a worship experience, maybe online now, maybe in person? Uh, will you do that when it's easy and when it's a little bit inconvenient and hard? Will, will you serve your neighbor? Will you love your neighbor as yourself? Will you, will you care for your family right now? Will you be encouraging and prayerful and loving? Will, will you reach out to people around you and, and care for them even if they're going to vote for the other person in November? even if they have a different opinion about masks than you do, even if they think completely opposite of the way you think. Because the truth is, we must listen to our coach if we underdogs have any chance of succeeding. Are we paying attention to him? That's the question. One of my earliest childhood memories was a story of an underdog. My mom and dad probably read for me hundreds of times my favorite little book. It was called The Boy with a Drum. It is a page turner, let me just tell you right now. It begins this way, there once was a boy with a little toy drum, rat-a-tat-tat, at a rum-a-tum-tum. And this little boy begins playing this drum, and he begins to walk, and uh, plot twist at the end of the story, some animals begin to follow him as he plays his drum. They follow behind. And they're pretty committed. The story ends this way. They all marched away to the top of a hill. If they haven't stopped marching, they'll be marching still. Part of me wonders if they're still marching. I mean, this is a riveting piece of literature I'm talking about here, the boy with the drum. Now, Is there anything less intimidating than a little boy with a toy drum and a couple of rabbits and squirrels hopping behind him? Probably not. Except maybe in our world, this picture of a crucified Jewish Messiah with a group of everyday people, nothing too special, following after him in his way of non-anxious, gentle love. Sounds like underdogs to me. But the truth is, today we have a decision. August 9th, we have a decision together to make. Our Savior is marching in the world. The sound of His voice is like a drum. We can either drown that out and drift into an increasingly secular culture, or we can unashamedly listen to the Son, who, Hebrews says, sustains all things by His powerful Word. And if we listen, we must march behind Him. Because this truth remains underdogs that succeed listen to their coach we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so will we will you let's pray together Uh, father we invite you to speak to us today and we beg your forgiveness god for the times you have spoken and we have just not paid attention Help us to to clean out our ears, Father, to to be receptive to you, to place ourselves in in the the space to hear you in worship and in your scriptures and in relationship with others. God, help us to be a people who follow your voice amidst all the noise around us. God, you are the one worth listening to. And we pray now that you would speak to us through your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.